This is probably the book that's least read in the Bible, other than maybe Leviticus or one of those long passages that name after name after name. And I don't want to belittle any book of the Bible. In fact, several years ago, when I was reading through all these names, I thought, Lord, this isn't beneficial to me at all. I don't know who these people are. But then, just like that, it came to me. Ron, what if I wrote your name in the Bible? Would you read <laughs> that name? And I thought, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. These people mean something. And that's how precious our lives, our name, who we are. If we were the only one, would Jesus die for me? Yes, he would. He did. I'm not the only one. Praise his name. Like we were talking about, we are family. And someday we are going to shout and sing to the top of our lungs. I think we'll have better lungs than we have right now. And being able to praise him the King of glory. Who is he? The King of glory. Revelation is at the other spectrum of the Bible. This is dealing with the consummation of the ages. It's the wrap-up of what is happening right now. I believe we are right in the Revelation period. Age. And this is time for us as believers. If we never really understood what is going on and what the book of Revelation is, now is the time is to open our ears to hear and to heed what this is all about. So we're at Laodicea. Why do you think God left this church to be the seventh church. Have you been reading through this seventh church? It was an actual church, a real church. It wasn't just a made-up church. And it was a church that probably is more like our age today than any of the churches. There's a blessing with Revelation. We've said this over and over. Let's read this together. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Get that into your heart and understand it. That's really not just understanding the historical background of these churches, but also reflecting on our age in which we're living and even reflecting on what this church in this building in this place here in Japan is all about. This is a commentary I believe on us here. So this is really personal I believe. Take it to yourself and not just say well that's Ron's responsibility or, or that's a uh, somebody else's responsibility. No, 
It's our responsibility. If we consider ourselves a part of the body of Christ, this is our life that we're examining here. By the way, we read this last week and I barely got started and we had to quit. So this is kind of a, a little bit of a review and then we're gonna just blast through to the end of this book, yes. So let's go. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich and I become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. I advise you Buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is a church unlike the other six churches. Jesus had nothing good to say about this church. Now I just got through saying that this church, this church is probably being described in this description of the Laodicean church. Think about it when you are in the sense of we're such a great church. We are MCC, Musashino Chapel Center, famous around the world. Well, you got here. You know, we have things that none other church throughout history has had. We have the Word of God. We have a building here. I don't know about the Church of Laodicea. I read a few things about it. It was considered a wealthy community and the people were wealthy people. But I don't think they had the technology that we have here today. I mean, look at this stuff that I've got up here preaching. John the Apostle, he didn't have a a MacBook Pro. <laughs> All he had was 
some scrolls and things that he had memorized for his preaching. You know, we are falling right into this church. The only good thing, like I said last week, about this church is that Jesus said that they were a church to the angel of the church in Laodicea. He didn't say, well, to the bunch of people that are meeting in this ragtag group of people in Laodicea. No, he said, church. What does church mean? Do you know what it means? What does it mean? Ecclesia. Ecclesia. What is Ecclesia? Ecclesia is to be gathered to Christ. The called out ones. That's who we are. And so I said, there's no commendation. No good thing that Jesus says about this church. Well, he did call them his people. They were called out. They were gathering. That has value because of, because of Jesus. And there were many people that he called and some turned away. But we're here. That's got to be something close to Jesus' heart. Bless you for being here. Bless you for wanting to know the Word of God. Bless you for taking this to your own heart seriously so that you can walk in the way of Christ. That's what we're called to as believers. We're called out of the world to be his chosen ones. What a privilege. We should cherish this and others of our family to bring them in to this place where we can have fellowship and encourage one another when we're down. Pray for one another. Lift one another's burdens. Show them the heart of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to. It's from the Amen. This is the name of Jesus. This message. The Amen. Okay, what does Amen mean? So be it. What so be it? Truth. What is Amen? Is it just the end of a prayer? Did you know that Jesus never said amen at the end of his prayers? What? Agree? Yes. It is wrapping it up and saying, so be it. Amen means so be it and may it happen. And it is happening because of who is saying it or who is doing it. And I said, Jesus never said an amen at the end of his prayers. Even the Lord's prayer doesn't have an amen at the end. Why? Because he is the amen to our prayers. And so we say, in Jesus' name, amen in our prayers. And it's looking to him, the only one, who can fulfill what we have asked. Think about that when you pray and when you say amen. We're saying, Jesus, 
the answer. The only one who can possibly make my request possible. He's the faithful and true witness. He's the one who came and walked in our shoes, walked out the life of a human being. And I think I've shared this before. I used to think when I was a teenager, Jesus didn't go through the temptation that I'm going through. He couldn't have. I believe he did. There is no temptation that Jesus hasn't suffered. Think about that. He is the faithful one who walked as a man facing those temptations that you and I face every day. Yet without sin. He made it through because he relied upon the Father and upon the word of the testimony of the prophets before him. He's the true witness. The one who can stand and say, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and you will have rest to your souls. And that is where we get our true rest in what he has accomplished for us. He's the beginning of the creation of God. Look at this list that's on the screen. The Amen, the faithful, true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. What do you notice about that list? It's backwards. It should really be, he's the beginning of the creation of God, the faithful and true witness. Amen. So why did John, or why did Jesus, start with amen and go then to faithful and witness and then the beginning of the creation of God? Well, I pondered this this last couple of weeks and I even looked in commentaries. I couldn't find anybody who really had a good answer, or at least not as good an answer as what I thought. And I don't even write commentaries. But I thought, Jesus went through the whole process of life. From a baby, through his toddler years, through his schooling, and he was 30 years old. Man, he's like some of us who just get started by the time we're 30. Why did Jesus and why did God wait for 30 years? for Jesus to come out and begin preaching so that he could experience all of life to an adulthood. Very important, I believe, that he experienced what you have experienced. And many of the things that we carry as burdens in our adulthood began when we were children. Just think about your past. Just think about the things that happened to you. I don't think there's a person in this room that can say, well, I was never hurt as a child. I never got in trouble like what you're talking about. I was a perfect child. 
I don't think there's any of us that can say that. We are the product of our upbringing. And Jesus went through that all the way to 33 years of age. Think about that. I think it's significant. And he went to the cross and fulfilled all righteousness for us. He says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It's talking about Jesus. All things come into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overpower it. That is Jesus' life. That's what he accomplished for us. Going all the way through from birth until death. He had experienced for us what it means to be a human being and what it means to suffer. And then he says to the Laodiceans, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. And I think that some of this comes from the water that was being piped in from the mountains to Laodicea. Apparently it was quite an elaborate pipe system. It's actually made of stone, carved out of stone in order to carry the water. But with that, miles of going across desert hills and coming down to Laodicea, it was lukewarm water. And they didn't have bottled water back in those days, I guess. This is kind of water that I wish I could have a cup of cold water. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, he says, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's pretty gross to think of somebody spitting out of their mouth. I know because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now there's five things there that are a list. And I meditated on this set of verses here for quite a while. And I came up with this outline. I hope it'll help you in understanding. What he's describing here, the Lord Jesus, is first of all, because you say, because you have a wrong image of yourself, you're self-deceived. You are saying about yourself that you're better than what you really are. And Jesus says, this is what your true condition is. You're wretched. Because you say, I say, you are wretched. Wretched actually means that in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, all our righteousness is like filthy rags. This statement about us as human beings that Isaiah writes, the filthy rags, it's like, do you know what a rag person is or a rag lady? 
Have you ever heard of rag ladies? They're ladies, I guess, in countries that are poor that go around and pick up old clothes and they put them in a bag on their back. And by the end of the day, those clothes are so heavy for them, weighing them down. The word here, all our righteousness is like weighing us down. That's what filthy rags is about. It's not just that our clothes are all raggy and filthy. It's about being weighed down by our sin and our own self-righteousness. And then he says to them, you say, I am rich. What does he say? You're miserable. Miserable. How many of you have been miserable? You know what that means? Miserable means, well, the key word or the root word of miserable is what? It's right there. Miser. Miser. Okay, what is a miser? He's selfish, but he has it, but he doesn't share it. He doesn't even want to spend it. What's the first thing you would do if you received a million dollars? Come on, be honest. You'd put it in a bank account and you would just let it sit there. Would you? Maybe you'd give half of it away. This is what this person was like. They thought they had everything, but they didn't want to give anything. They wanted to just keep it for themselves. We are rich. And they were. Probably the richest church of the seven churches that we've studied. And they boasted that they were rich and have become wealthy. Jesus says, you're poor. You're not wealthy. You are poor. You're miserable. You're wretched. And then he says, and have need of nothing. Well, they haven't looked around themselves. They haven't really taken notice of who they are because they're blind. And it's what we call sometimes they have poor mind sight. You know what that means? You're thinking one thing about yourself, but you really don't have a good take, a good idea of who you really are or what you're like because you go around hurting people. You go around getting into people's business. You get around to telling people what to do. And you don't even see that you are blind yourself to yourself. We need to become more aware. And how do we become aware? By looking inward? No, by looking outward to Jesus who knows us best. Teach me, Lord, to see myself through your eyes. Teach me to walk in your ways and not what I want to do. That's what Jesus saw. They were blind. And you do not know that you are naked. What was the thing that happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned? What was the first thing that happened? They knew that they were naked. But these people 
are even worse than Adam and Eve. They didn't know they were naked. And they just go around being naked and have nothing of modesty or a sense of propriety. And they offend and offend and offend those around them. That's who these people were. Now, you know what? With that list, I'm going to say, in all honesty, and what I know about this church, praise the Lord, and it's to his glory. This church is not like that. We have known your generosity. We have known these four years that we fellowshiped here, that you're a people who care. But we have so much more to learn to walk in his ways and how to care for one another. And we don't want to sit back and say, we're MCC. We've got it all. No, no. We need to continue to walk in humility and to seek more of Jesus in our life and to care for each other more carefully. That's what we need to incorporate into our doctrinal statement or the bylaws or the constitution of what we're trying to reform right now in MCC. To really understand what God has called us to and how to walk in his ways. Now, I'm glad for this process that we're going through here at MCC right now. And we, we need to talk more about that. Kent Penner has been sharing with us how we can really be a church that serves one another. And we need to continue to think about that and how to ask the Lord, teach us to walk in your ways and understand how to reach out. Many of you are from all over the world. It's not just focused on Japan. We're talking about nations here at this church. And half of us are missing here this morning. We have about 14, 15, 20 different nationalities that are part of this congregation. Our world isn't this small. He's trying to open up our hearts and we need to be more generous as people of God here in Kichijoji. We haven't even scratched the surface of out on our street here with people walking in front of our church of MCC or riding on the trains into Tokyo. He wants us to be that kind of people who know who we are and not be self-deceived and really come to let Jesus cleanse us and make us whole. We have a long way to go. But we have a good example here of what not to do or be. Jesus says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may become rich. What is gold refined by fire? Is that like this ring that Katie gave me of fine gold? This had to go through fire in order to be shaped into a ring that I could wear and that would last for as long as I live. We need refining. When God puts the screws down on us, when he's really putting us under pressure, that's the fire 
that God wants us to say, no, Lord, save me from this. Don't let me suffer. No, Lord, if I need this, if I need it, keep it up so that I'll be refined. I want to be refined. I want to be a servant that knows what it is to suffer and to know your sufficiency and your enablement. That's what this means. Gold refined as fire. You know, it talks about gold 22 times in the book of Revelation. And what we're to face if we get into those chapters in Revelation, it's refinement. It's fire that's coming. We need to be prepared. That's what Jesus is saying to this church. Buy from me. In other words, rely on me. Put your trust in me so that you can be refined by fire. And the product, pure gold. Pure gold. Buy from me white garments. We are the people of God. We are the bride of Christ. And that's what this speaks of as white garments. So that you may clothe yourself and that shame of your nakedness will not be revealed. And the Lord wants to bring us to a place where we are clothed in his righteousness. And when accusations come from the enemy or they come from our neighbor or from our closest friend, we don't just say, well, I don't believe what you're telling me about me. No, we have that humility and that covering the white garments to be humble and say, I'll consider that. I'll ask the Lord about that. And go to him and ask him, clothe me with your white garments. And what does this speak of? A wedding of the purity of being the bride of Christ. And then he speaks of Isav, to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And apparently Laodicea was famous for Isav. And that's why Jesus picks this out as a specialty of this church or of this community. I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. See what? What do we need to see? First of all, we need to see Jesus. Secondly, we need to see our neighbor. Thirdly, we need to see ourselves. And it's that third one where it sometimes is in reverse order. When he is working on who we are because of what we act to other people so that we can become the children of God and walk in the light as he is in the light. And that light can be reflected off of our white garments. Let's read through this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous, be on fire for the Lord, and repent. 
And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. We talked about this last week. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. That is a great promise for us as Christians. And often this verse is quoted to unbelievers. This isn't for unbelievers. This is for believers. When Jesus comes and knocks on your door, listen to him. Hear his voice. Open the door of your heart and he'll come in. And you will be fed. You will be nourished. You will be built up in him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on a throne. That is what we're called to. We are called to be kings and priests. Think about that. Do you ever think of yourself as a king or a queen? Royalty? You are. In Christ Jesus, you are. That's what he's called you to. And it's not something to be boastful about. We boast in him. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. That's where we are. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is our call today. And let's pray. Father, we want to learn. We want you to scrutinize us. We want you to come in with your truth so that we can walk in honesty and purity. And those things that need burning up in our lives, continue your fire, your discipline, so that we not push back, so that we begin to appreciate when you take us through hard times. Teach us to say, Amen. Teach us what it means to say, so be it. We want to be a church that pleases you because you are worthy. You are worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. Shall we all rise? We are called to be a people, a peculiar people. It's the way the Bible describes us. We're not like the world. Lord, take the world out of us. The worldliness, the filthy rags. Make us red hot for you. Make us so that anybody that bumps up against us or interfaces with us will know there's something different. Not because of us, but because of you. May we not be ashamed, either here on earth or as we stand before you in heaven. Your righteousness over me. Cover us, Lamb of God. And all the people of God said, Amen. Amen.